Hello and welcome to Mums Work and Chaos with me, Louise. They say it takes a village to raise a child, so let me help you build yours. During this journey, I'll be learning about everything from neurodiversity in children's literature through to body image post-pregnancy. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to this episode of Mums Work and Chaos. Today I am joined, I'm so excited, I'm joined by the absolutely wonderful Cat Sims, um, otherwise known as Not So Smug Now. Um, and she's amazing. She's an author, she's a podcaster, she's a content creator, and she's an amazing mum of two. So um, here you go. Hi Cat, how are you? Hello, I'm fine. Thank you so much. What a lovely introduction. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you're amazing. It's hard not to introduce you in such a wonderful way. So, well, listen, you, so you only for... get, you only get the you only get the the outward PR part. I'm not sure my <laughs> husband would necessarily. I think he'd have something to add. Let's say. <laughs> well, seeing the beautiful plate of breakfast you prepared for your daughter the other day, I am. Um, I fail miserably at that it's mostly chuck them in the car with some sort of portable breakfast and get them to school as quickly as possible so do you know what part of that is quite selfish because I um if I don't get up early and sort my shit out I am horrendous and so if I get up early then that's the kind of breakfast that gets made if I don't get up early and give myself a minute to decompress then they literally get like a brioche thrown at them in the back of the car so it you know you just happen to catch me on a good day just just know that I only did the breakfast stuff on one day (laughs) I'm not doing it every day I'm not showing you the time I shove a brioche in their gob and send them to the back seat do you know what I mean so let's it's all it's all relative Fair play. No, I think I think that's one of the one of the things you have to wrap yourself around when you when you follow con- content creators or anyone on social media. It's like even my friends do it. They show the best bits, but of not course. the worst bits. You don't see every single element of someone's day, do you? So no, and I think that's really important to say. Like as much as I try to be as authentic and real and honest, it is always it's still a construct. It's still a performance of some kind. And it's not that it's not real. It's just that it's curated in a way to fit a platform. And so, you know, I do try and show the shitty times as well. And, you know, when I'm struggling, I put those on too. And I do try and share those too. But also people don't, they want to know that you're sad and that you find it hard occasionally, but they don't want to see that all the time. Um, And so I think it's really important to say that, yes, it is authentic and true and genuine and everything I write about is exactly how I feel, but it isn't me every day, all day. You know, it's a different me than my husband gets and my kids get, you know, that it's, it is the, the Instagram me. It's, it's funny, isn't it? One of um, like, one of the things um, I really wanted to talk to you about today um, is your work around the mental load. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you, you speak about it fairly often. All of your stories yesterday featured the hashtag mental load, which was amazing. Seeing the day in the life of Cat Sims and exactly what the mental load actually entails, because I think people don't actually realize exactly how much work goes into parenting and you know that's not just like organizing your own shit but your children's shit as well because essentially you're now a glorified PA maid um cleaner 
uh, and all the all the other stuff as well that goes with it. And, you know, it's not just organising your own social calendar. You're also working out whether they can go to six birthday parties in one weekend and, and all no, of that. Stuff. No, they can't. They can't <laughs> go to six birthday parties in one weekend. Um, yeah. And I think it's. I think people sometimes underestimate and I think men and women do this underestimate the impact of the mental load because it's something that we have so subconsciously inherited from our parents and I think with each generation it becomes more and more equal Mm. and I think that you know I hope that by the time our kids are in relationships or partnerships that they that this is way more normal, but I do see that our role, our generation is really cool and super pivotal um, in driving that dynamic because nobody, here's the other thing, nobody's to blame here. Like I know a lot of people are like, roll their eyes and they go, well, even if you did it, do it wrong. Or, you know, or, you know, I might as well do it myself because it will take longer for me to show him how to do it. And I'm like, I get that frustration. I really do. But also, we can't complain about it and then not work towards a solution you know mm-hmm. it isn't men's fault generally most men aren't no. dickheads is what I'm saying most men that we choose to marry aren't dickheads and so it's not their fault that they're not doing it it just as we have inherited our need to do it from our mums they have inherited their their need not to do it from their dads and I know that's quite simplistic and quite but generally that's how it works right boys yeah. look to their dads as a model and women and girls look to their mums as a model and so if we can start to like break that down for our kids it'll be easier for them to share that mental load and and even just talking about it you know it is a conversation that hasn't really happened very often we, yeah. mostly because it is so subconscious it's taken a while for us to figure out why as women we're so fucking frustrated all the time you know and it's like giving it that name the mental load which wasn't my name I mean I've inherited it no, wherever it no, comes no, down yeah. but um it's it, it just having that out there in the conversation is really important and from my experience if we can if as women we can put down our defenses and our resentments about all the work that we do and open and be open to maybe initially having to like guide show teach then in my experience that has been game-changing I think like as you said it's it's not anyone's fault in particular I think when you think about it we were raised by you know um parents who well my mum worked my mum was a single mum she worked but she did everything she she did it all but in, you know, her parents, her mum didn't work. Her dad, you know, went out to work. She stayed at home. She cared for the kids. She cared for her mum. But that's just the way the roles were back then. When she got, when my grandmother got married, she was for, she was made to leave her job. It was just expected. You're married now. Now you leave. You have a family. That's how it works. So, you know, there was, there was a lot of stigma as well about being a married woman and working. It wasn't something that was expected of you. Whereas I think now we sort of live in this day and age where we're expected to do it all. We have this with, you know, you see the memes everywhere, don't you? Um, women are expected to work as if they don't have children and parent as if they don't work. Um, but it's it's actually now got to the point where we have to work out, like actually saying, no, I, I do need help. You can't just label me as a super mum or a super woman. It, it has to be an equal partnership here. <laughs> yeah, 
but you know, and it's and I think we do run the risk of it being quite of getting sort of into misandry here and like really sort of getting into this man hating, they're incapable thing. Mm. And that's absolutely not what I think is helpful. And I think that it's easy to sort of say women are expected to do this, this, and this, and we are, and that is a very real responsibility. But I think sometimes it's easy to forget that the responsibility of men to provide financially is an incredibly heavy weight. And I think oh, definitely that 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 there's men's side of the story sometimes gets lost in this conversation a little bit and that's when I find that it becomes really unhelpful and so you know when I decided to put the mental load list together um initially I did it because I was having a conversation with Jimmy my husband and I was like would it I don't mean to sound condescending but like would it be helpful if I sort of tried to write down all the shit that goes on in my head all the time. He's like, that would be really helpful. So I did that. And then I sort of showed up and everybody's like, I need a copy of this list. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do it, I'll do it properly. And then this list <laughs> suddenly became like 47 pages long. And, um, <clears throat> and the reality is that we can't blame men for not knowing what they've not been taught. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not their fault, but it is also their responsibility to do better. And it's not our fault that we are shouldering the load and have a slight inclination towards martyrdom, which I think we all have to own a little bit. Definitely. But it is our responsibility to let go and stop being so controlling and also to accept that sometimes something being done is better than it being done the way that you would do it. And once you can let go of that, managing that mental load becomes much easier and you do find I have found that I'm not as fussed about whether he's polished the kitchen counters because even if I have to do that at least I didn't have to clean everything up you know and it's it it, we do have to come at it from a really help like a really not defensive mindset because that's just when the fights start and it becomes argumentative and you know, we also, I think, as as women sometimes have a tendency to, to assume that, like, telepathy is a really effective form of communication. I've um, fallen victim to the trap of resentment, telepathic yeah. communication, and just generally walking around the house seething that yeah. something hasn't happened or hasn't been done. And then he doesn't have, he actually doesn't have a clue yeah. what he has or hasn't done wrong. And it's it's not that he's... I mean he's obviously just doesn't know and it's the fact that I haven't then spent the time to say actually you know could you the the bin is overflowing it needs to go out yeah could you deal with that while I do this there are lots of things that I don't know about because I rely on other people to know so I don't Mm. know anything about um gynecological health because I expect the gynecologist (laughs) to know about that yeah you know that's not my fault men often don't know anything about what it takes to manage a house because it's not something that they've ever been told that they're going to have to know. And this is our generation. The next generation, that will be different. Any men in the next generation that is like weaponizing their incompetence, that is not okay. We're calling that shit out immediately. But I think we have to accept that we are the change makers here. And that is a responsibility that we have to work together and stop being so angry that they don't know. You know, it's like being angry at your five-year-old. She doesn't know, you know, 12 times 11, oh, God, yeah. by the way. Um, <laughs> I think, I don't know. God, is it? Maybe, maybe it's not. I don't know. Somebody's going to write in and tell us. Um, you, you know, it's like being mad at your five-year-old. They don't know the times tables, but they've never been taught it. And it's, it's just 
I think we do need to let our defenses down a little bit as women and stop being, you know, it was, what is it they say? They say an expectation is a resentment waiting to happen. So if you're expecting something from somebody and they are not in a place to deliver it, whose fault is it that you're angry? You know, I have to take responsibility for that. If I'm expecting Jimmy to know that, I don't know, the beds need change or something, it's never anything that he's had to do. It's not in his list of things or whatever. That is baffling to us. And we're like, how, do you, how would you not know that? But they don't yeah. know that. You know, a dentist might be like, how do you not know why you don't, fl- why you floss your teeth or something? I don't know, because it's not, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you, he, the dentist no, get totally mad at me know. for it, but that's not my fault. So I think sometimes we have to really stop and look into ourselves and really understand whether we are expecting too much. And I'm not letting men off the hook here by any means, but I am saying that it it does have to come from a place of, I really need help. Can I show you how you can help me? Rather than, why don't you fucking know what I'm thinking and feeling and dealing with all the time? Fuck you, bye-bye. That's, you know, it's just not helpful. No, it's not. It's not at all. So- the way you ended up approaching things with the list you you didn't go at it from this like angry rageful resentful stance did you 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 actually sat down had conversation showed him the list and basically said to to him and your kids divvy it up take what you can do yeah so just to be clear I have spent many years doing the rage cleaning, door slamming, seething, tutting thing, many, many years. And I have done even more, um, okay, there's been even more occasions where I have done it, done it, done it, done it, done it, done it, exploded. Yeah. Kept quiet, kept quiet, kept quiet, kept quiet, screamed, not said anything, not said anything, lost my shit. And, you know, that is a really normal habit. That's a very common, like, uh, cycle that, women do when they're sort of running a house and I also want to say that this idea of running a house I know that it's not really fully valued and understood but it's it's like running a business you know it really is managing it's like if you had a restaurant you'd be managing stock supplies keeping on top of laundry you know making sure the food is full making sure the dinners are prepared at the right time making sure that everything's in the right place that it's clean you know, and I often I used to say to my husband, it is like running a business. And to be honest, you'd be fucking fired <laughs> because that's how I felt. But also yeah. it's like saying, but then I'm not training my staff. And it is, I know it sounds clinical, but that is really, really important. Um, anyway, so yes, I've done a lot of exploding and all of that stuff. Uh, and then that would work for like a week and then we'd fall back into old patterns. Yeah. And so this time, once I'd written down the mental load, I was like, obviously there's lots of different things. Some need, some things are like every month, every week, every, some things are just whatever. And I did a list of the things that, you know, needed to be done in the next week or so. And I just put it down and I was like, this shit needs to get done. I've put my name, I've put my initial by the things that I'm happy to do. Um, you put your name by the things that you're happy to do. And like the girls do things now, like they'll fill up, they'll make sure all the bathrooms have got loo rolls. They'll empty the bins. That's something that any kid can do. They'll water the plants. Um, You know, it's really finding those chores. When you look at your list of things, like they can clean the skirting boards, my skirting boards. I don't know about you. There's a million jobs in my house that I walk around and I spend every day going, I really need to clean that. And it's, it's, it never gets cleaned. Skirting boards are that thing. I've got a dog and a cat. They're filthy, but the girls love it. You know, give them a, bucket of soapy water you do have to accept that there's going to be a bit of a puddle but like it's done 
and I, that's it's about sharing it I can't they can't they don't know what they don't know and my so- seven-year-old loves to have a job to do she's always liked to be helpful and yeah. so you know the way I used to cajole her into doing the things that I, I wanted her to do was like uh, teaching her to dress herself even it's like oh do you know what It'd be really helpful if you could get your 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 pants and your vest out the cupboard now could you can you go choose your your own vest and knickers please and your socks oh uh okay so by the time she was three she was she was picking out like the basics we'd pick out the rest of the outfit together she could put the majority of stuff on need help with socks and fiddly things but it was to give her this sort of like independence but also to help me because I didn't want to have to get her I didn't want to have all this faff when she started school no now we're doing it with a three-year-old and now it starts so she has to pick her vest knickers and socks in the morning but like even the little helpful jobs they love which is amazing but um but But it's important to give those value as well like sometimes I feel like you can sort of you know, go, okay, well, yes, you can help me do this. And actually I'm like, I'm not going to do that unless it really, like I give them jobs that are actually really helpful. And we distinguish mm. in this between responsibilities and chores. So responsibilities are things that like any functioning adult should be doing, like yeah. keeping their own space clean, getting themselves dressed, making their bed, brushing their teeth, that sort of thing. So when they're like, oh, do I get, do I get pocket money for making my bed? No, that's a responsibility. That is a basic, you know, requirement for a functioning adult. You do not get paid for that. But if they go, if they want to earn money and I'm like, why don't you go pick up the dog poo from the garden? Kids can do that. And it's really helpful to me. And I will pay them for that because that is a response. That is a chore that otherwise I would have to do. And so they can earn their 20 P whatever it is. Um, And and I think it's really important to let them know that they are actually being helpful. You know, like when they come, Bo's in this habit, she just wants to clean the windows all the time. Yeah. And it's, we just don't need them cleaning. And I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be like, yeah, because she just wants to play. Yeah. When I say, oh my God, the windows are so filthy during Sunday morning chore time. Can you please clean them? Then she doesn't want to do it. Like that's, that's the point. And it's really important to make them realize that these chores are actually about them investing in the house and the space that they have and they they are little you know I'm not saying you work them to the bone but I am saying that all kids once they can walk and talk are capable of doing something and it may mean that it takes a bit more time but now when I say to the girls right loo rolls bins flower plants they know exactly what they're doing and they're off and I think that just like parents just like husbands and just like kids you know we can give them a bit more credit than we do and I think that's the thing it's just that we can't just expect them to know when we have largely managed and dominated the running of the house you know if you were a waitress and suddenly the manager went right it's over to you for a week you wouldn't know what to do with the restaurant it's not your fault so that's basically the thing. And so we sat down, we had that conversation and now they get it, you know, they do. And and for me, my love language is acts of service. Mm. It always has been, you know, a cup of tea in the morning is brilliant. If I come in and Jimmy's, I don't know, vacuumed, like that for me is like, he loves me. Yeah, um, I totally get that. A hundred percent, you know, I, I don't need gifts. I don't need anything. I mean, gifts are nice. 
and and quality time's nice. All of those other love languages are, are cool, but actually, I get the the warm and fuzzies when I can see and I can feel that I have been. He's kept me in mind, mm. and that's the thing, you know. Um, and it's just it came through conversation, and it just came through me going, I cannot keep doing this anymore. Like I just can't. I can't work as much as I'm working, and keep the house in a way that doesn't send me batshit crazy because that's the other thing the, the the state of our space is in my case and I'm sure in a lot of cases directly proportionate to my mental health state as well like if my house yeah. is a shithole my head is all over the place um and so it's it, it, that was important that was an important conversation to have as well I was like look I work from home I'm at home all the time if I have to come back from the school run and everything's a shithole and I have to tidy up before I start work, that's too much for me. It's yeah, too much. It eats into your day. It's, a, it's an un, uh, it, yeah, it's an unavoidable thing. You, you, I, I get it as well. I work from home. I'm really lucky that this shed that, that we converted the shed at the end of the garden into an office. So the only time I have to really go into the house is if I need a wee or a coffee or something to eat. Yeah. And but the thing is the loo's upstairs so you have to walk all the way through the kitchen end up tidying up the kitchen going upstairs having a wee realizing the laundry basket's full sort a load of laundry put the laundry on and then I'm back to the office and it's like whoa okay that was a lot but I mean benefits working from home great otherwise it would end up waiting to the weekend I've got three lots of uh, three kids who all wear copious amounts of clothes I know I don't understand um, why they do that so frustrating ugh, honestly we've got we've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old they're the youngest and a seven-year-old well the one-year-old old... I get because they're pooping you know that happens oh the yeah she also it. gets so mucky and then touches everyone and so yes. next thing you know you've got yogurt down the shirt you've only worn once <laughs> but again I think you make a really interesting point because it is at some point you can walk through the kitchen and go to, if you wanted to Mm-hmm. your space your shed over there is your space right my I have an office as well I'm not in it because it's full of big boxes yes I saw the story um <laughs> so I this is the other thing I had to learn I can choose to walk through that kitchen mm-hmm. and go to loo and come back and leave it because if the laundry is not done and the thing's not clean it's not my entire responsibility yeah so if somebody comes home and is like the house is a mess it's like okay well I've been at work all day. I've been working all day, you know, and that was really hard for me. So as long as the space that I was working in was clean, I had to, you know, I had to compromise. I had to go, okay, I understand that the house is not always, it's not possible to keep the house spotless all the time. And so there are going to be times when I decide that it's okay to leave it Mm. and go and work or, or go out, just leave it, just shut the door on it, whatever it is. I had to make that okay because it's just not possible. And that expectation was unreasonable that the house was spotless all the time. I've got two kids, a dog, a cat, a husband, you know, it, it's just not possible. And so again, it was like, yes, I wanted him to step up, but I also had to step back a bit, step down a bit and, and lower my expectations because as Jimmy always says, it's like, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be happy? And it's like, do you want the house to be spotless? Or do you want to be happy? And it's, and at the end of the day, I just want to be happy. Yeah. And a little bit of mess isn't the worst thing in the world and I can decide that I can decide how I feel about that mess and I can lean into that pause that initial like oh I can't stand it I can take a breath and I can lean into that pause and go what's the worst thing that's going to happen if I don't do it now yeah like 
just let it go. Like, let's learn from our husbands in that ability to ignore it. <laughs> like, like, we can teach them, but they can teach us. Let's learn how to ignore it actually for a bit because it doesn't always need to be done. Yeah. And I think that's really important too. I think sometimes we are guilty of putting too much pressure on ourselves, you know, of, of, of feeling like we're being judged. And that is fair enough. You know, we are, as women, we are constantly judged for, like you say, how well we are as house managers, how well we are as boardroom members, how well we do in the gym and, you know, all the rest of it. And it's, and it, it is our responsibility to decide how much we want to play into that and to decide how much we want to, how much it matters actually how much we want to protect ourselves because I think a lot of what we're doing and I, and I know that I'm responsible I'm part of the problem in this social media is part of the problem is that it's made us all so closely connected that sometimes we forget that we can just make a decision for ourselves on the t- on on the basis of our own family our own house our own mental health we don't always have to look for advice we always have to look for somebody to inspire us sometimes we can just be like do you know what? I'm just going to make a decision that feels right for me, not yeah. because Johnny What's His Chops has given me five ways to save your marriage, but in the mental load. You know, it's like let's just make a decision for ourselves. Sometimes it's all right for the woman. You know, if the if the female or the that person, whoever's responsible for managing the mental load generally, is all right with it, that's not a problem. Yeah, you know, it doesn't. For me, it doesn't work because I can't do everything and I'm busy and for working mums, whatever, you know. But actually, there may be women out there who are like, look, my job is at home. I love being a stay-at-home mum. This is what I do. I'm very happy to do it and I don't feel resentful. Brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. This list is for those couples that are struggling to communicate and to uh, illustrate exactly what is going on each of them in that house and so you know there are no right or wrong things it's it's I suppose essentially it comes down to being able to communicate properly what you need yeah uh, without losing your shit and is the list the list is still available isn't you know it what? the list is still available I have to say if I'd have known if I'd have known how popular that list was I would have literally uh written it 15 years ago and then just gone back to bed (laughs) (laughs) it's available not so smug now.com it's eight pounds you get um the fancy pdf that's all designed beautifully and then you also get an editable version as well for those of you who i mean it goes into your junk mail the editable version it's a uh it's a link so you have to do it that way but if you don't get it you can always email me and i ping it over quite quickly um but yeah it's there and in fact it's been so popular that um, we're currently pitching uh, a, we're currently pitching the book, um, which is really exciting. And the book is kind of, I mean, the mental, sorry if you can hear my dog going nuts. No. <laughs> the, um, it will include obviously the list itself, but actually it's more about, it's more of a kind of anecdotal love letter to modern relationships, I think. And just like based on my experience and the generations either side of us, how that's going to change and how it's going to look um and it's funny and I hope relatable and helpful but not I don't want it to be like a self-help book um but anyway so we're pitching that I don't know if it's I'm literally about to finish the synopsis this week so hopefully we'll get some ideas but uh but yes the mental illness is still <laughs> available on notsosmugnow.com 
Brilliant. Something else I wanted to talk to you about um, was your, God forbid this sounds so corny, but your journey through sobriety. So I personally am not a big drinker every now and again, maybe socially, but like really, really at the end of the day, what I want is a good cup of tea, some shitty telly and a bag of popcorn. That's how I get my kicks. Um, But yeah, please. That's um, not how I got my kicks. No. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I, I identify as an alcoholic and an addict and I use those words not because they mean one thing in particular yeah um I'm really clear about this and know that my my uh idea of what an alcoholic was and most people's idea of what an alcoholic is uh doesn't necessarily look like me it doesn't necessarily drink like I drank um you know I'll be honest I assumed that you know you had to have been in prison or lost your house or lost a job or you know all of that's be drinking in the morning to be called an alcoholic the reality is you know I was drinking and using drugs too much and when bad things happened they always happened when I was drinking whether that was really toxic fights with my husband whether that was sexual abuse or rape whether that was drink driving you know the bad things happened when I was drinking and using and I was drinking and using in a way that was very socially acceptable Mm. in a lot of ways most of my drinking was binge drinking I did drink every day um but I never drank in the mornings I never hid alcohol in coffee cups um but when I did binge drink wasn't 100% sure when I was going to stop I mean I loved like an all-night bender um and I never in the history of my drinking I don't think I've ever just had one drink yeah um and even though I wasn't drinking in the morning I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have to break and I'd be like oh I can't wait to that glass of wine this evening you know it took up a lot of my time and I also spent a lot of time you know going well maybe I can invite so-and-so out for lunch because she's she's not working she's a drinker we can have a good time um and so it was it, you know it, in a lot of ways people are like we weren't really an alcoholic I think it doesn't actually matter. Do you know what? If I start to say to myself, oh, actually, you're not really an alcoholic. You're a grey area drinker. Then my um, my addict is going, well, if you're not an alcoholic, then you can drink. For me, I need to know and I need to tell myself and remind myself every day that I am an addict and an alcoholic. And when I drink, I don't drink safely. And so maybe I could moderate. Maybe I could. Oh, I just don't have the energy. No. One of the joys of sobriety is not having to think about alcohol at all in any way shape or form and so to moderate we just have to just put it so much at the top of my agenda again that I'm just not interested so and and also I'm 18 months sober this week actually congratulations thanks get my chip today Um, and I have never met anybody who gave up drinking and went well, I gave up drinking and my life went to shit. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody. I've never, I mean, I'm not saying, I've never heard anybody say that. I have heard people say I gave up drinking and then I started again and it went to shit. I've heard people say I can't give up drinking, my life is shit. But I've never heard anybody say since I gave up drinking, my life went was shit in the history of anything. And so for me, that's, 
now I've got space enough from drinking and using to be able to go, why on earth would I? Why would I? Um, it adds nothing to my life. It took me a while to realize that because I thought at first giving up booze was like taking everything away. I thought it would take all my friends away or my fun away or my joy away, but actually it didn't. There were some friends that I definitely don't see as much because it turns out that the majority of our drinking was about a majority of our relationship was about drinking, yeah. but there, but mostly most of my friends are really supportive and actually most of as it turns out most of them probably drank a lot with me because I was drinking a lot and so mm. now you know I'll go out for lunch with a girlfriend who I normally would have got absolute shit face with and I'll be and I'll be like oh I have a virgin Mary she's like yeah I will too I'm like no you know you can drink like I'm it's fine she's like actually I don't really want to and I thought god they probably drank a lot because I was drinking a lot you know yeah. um and that's that. And that for me is just now I just think I can't imagine my life with alcohol. Um, it must be it's such a, a you know, I, I think well, that's one of the other things like I used to go down the pub with my friends when I was, you know, in my early 20s and stuff. We'd meet on a Monday. We'd go to the pub. That's what we did. But we were never like really a group that drank a lot. So like me and my friend Ruth, we'd be the dr ones driving everyone to the pub yeah. we had friends who could walk to the pub but we'd we'd have to drive there and so like we'd actually quite happily in our early 20s be sitting in this pub in the beautiful moon underwater in Enfield it's a Weatherspoons um having having a cup of tea and yeah. we'd you know go to be social but we'd we'd be the ones taxiing yeah. And we quite liked the idea of taxiing because it meant we didn't have to really drink. And when I was at uni, I drank a lot. Um, I had friends who drank a lot and I really didn't like the way I felt afterwards. Like, you know, uni was so cheap. This was like 2005, six. You could go out with a tenner. You could get completely ratted yeah. and still have money for a burger on the way home. It was stupid, especially student union prices were just ridiculous. So but I'd wake up the next day and I might have blacked out. I'd feel really anxious. I really hated it. But also my, you know, I'm a child who had, uh, as a child, I experienced alcoholism. My dad's an alcoholic. He cannot not drink. Um, we'd go to see him on a Saturday um, after my parents divorced and we'd end up like going for a little stroll down the high street and, oh, 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 I've I've just seen Mick. I need to go in and say hi to Mick. And we'd end up in the pub. Yeah. I learned how to peel a prawn in a pub. I learned how to play darts. I learned how to play pool. And by the time I was 16, it, I just decided this was not a relationship I wanted to continue. If you wanted to see me, it had to be on my terms. I wasn't going to hang out with him down the pub. It wasn't yeah. what I wanted to do. And I so I think you've got to make the right decision for you. Yeah, but I think as well, well that takes an awful lot of strength. And I do think you're quite unusual in that, in that, you know, a lot of people who experience alcoholism in their families as a child tend to 
are definitely more uh, at risk of becoming addicts themselves. In fact, I heard something in a meeting today that really blew my mind and it said, genetics is the gun and your circumstances is the trigger. And I do believe that, you know, there is definitely alcoholism in my family. Again, very functional, very... um, I, there's one other person who's in a, in a fellowship, but there's probably 10 that should be. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, it's, uh, my family were all really heavy drinkers. Again, very, mm-hmm. nobody would have called it an alcoholic, but we all got pissed together all the time. That was it. Nobody, ne- we never didn't drink. And so I grew up very much with that feeling that that's what we did. You know, we mm-hmm. just drank and it was fun. And for a long time, it really was fun. Like, I do want to say that, like for a long time, I had a lot of fun drinking. But they say, you know, it was fun, then it was fun with consequences, and then it was really just consequences. And I just got to a point where I thought, I'm not happy. And as much as I could wait to get caught drink driving or to lose a job or, you know, whatever it is, I'd rather not. I'd rather. That's the thing for me. Like, I saw it tear apart my parents relationship that was the reason that was one of the many reasons they broke up it's what really wrecked it really wrecked the relationship was that he chose alcohol over the family and then I saw him lose job after job after job and I just thought like I mean I I'm in PR I, I started my career in PR I am a marketer you know um been to many a boozy press lunch but always I was the one who drove I think so um, I'd have the excuse not to drink a lot so I'd drive me and my boss to the to meet the to meet the um journalist so that I could have one glass of wine yeah and the excuse I think it's really um first of all it's I'm really sorry that that was your experience as a child because I know um my mum drank alcoholically in a very functional way but not if you're Mm. seven and she was your only parent at the time um and it's not easy by any means but the irony is I used to be so angry at my mum so furious because I just thought there's just me I was only one child dad was away all the time and she used to drink and I remember like having to I remember coming down and sort of having to slap her awake when I was seven or eight because she passed out on the sofa I didn't know you know, I remember like having screaming fights in car parks outside pubs because I wouldn't get into the car with her because I knew she'd been drinking. Um, and for a long time, I held so much anger and resentment to her. And life has a way of humbling you because, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't, I, it, that was the position I found myself in. You know, yeah. I was a mum who was in charge of a baby whose husband was away a lot who was desperately unhappy and who was abusing alcohol. And that compassion for her took a while to come. And I realized that like, if I was going to, I realized I had to forgive her, not because she needed it. I've never said to her, I forgive you. I had to forgive her because I needed to. And I needed to give her the grace that I hope my children will give to me in any sense of mistakes that I make whether it's you know alcohol or whatever you know we're going to fuck them up in some way (laughs) and so I have to for me I have to give her that grace and the compassion I have for her now and I know I sit there and I go god that must have been miserable you know she knew dad was maybe not being a perfect husband while he was away and all of this stuff I didn't know any of that at the time and it's not my fault but it is my responsibility to make that okay with myself and 
doing that has been huge in my recovery, but also this is an illness and there are, and it's horrible to feel that your parent chose alcohol over you, Mm. but I chose alcohol over my kids as well. Not because I'm a shitty human, because I'm a shitty mum, but because I was sick. Oh yeah. I was sick and just like celiacs can't eat wheat. (laughs) I am an alcoholic and I cannot drink booze Yeah, because when I do bad things happen and I turn and and I have an allergic reaction to it, I turn into a different person and that's not necessarily a bad person. Like, trust me, I'm fun drunk. I'm not the person that's like crying or causing fights when that's not me. I am party, party, party. Everybody's lovely. Let's have a great time. But I am ruthlessly selfish yeah if nobody gets in the way of my night nobody gets in the way of the decisions nobody tells me I can't buy drugs nobody tells me I have to go home nobody tells me I can't do this that and the other and that is really really damaging and I don't like that person and I'm not that person but I am when I drink alcohol and that's the allergic reaction I mean is it technically an allergic reaction no but that helps like it's a good Make, way of defining it though to be it able helps to me say, understand like, because there is that there is that change yeah you've got you've got this like like if you got stung by a bee and you puffed up and, and yeah. you know went into anaphylactic shock yes okay you've got an allergic reaction but equally your your drinking turns you into someone different yeah and that's that's a brilliant way of of you know and I only have thing I only have control over that first drink Oh, yeah. Once I have that first drink, the addictions kicked in, the allergic reactions kicked in, and I am out of control at that point. But so that's me, the way it was with my dad. We go into the pub for one, and yeah. next thing you know, it's four down, and uh, we've got, and we're saying we've got to go home. Mum's yeah. picking us up at this time. As you said, the the forgiving, you forgive, you've forgiven your mum. I've forgiven my dad. It's not something he can control. You know, there. Yes, uh, there was. Uh, I've been in therapy for it as well. You know, again, please don't ever feel ashamed for seeking therapy. It's an Never. amazing thing. It's healing, and and it will make you feel so much better. But uh, I've I've been to therapy for this as a child, but also as an adult. Um, and yeah, the see, you know, being able to forgive. And you know, come to the realization that he had no control over this thing. He never sought help. He never tried to to get help. He never attended an AA meeting, you know. And so it, but it was. It's this disease yeah. that has complete and control over you, you know. And I've, I think I've said it seven hundred times. It's not his fault, but it is his responsibility. And there is there is definitely a discussion to have about people who don't take responsibility for that. And sometimes that is an inability. Sometimes people just don't have the ability to do that. They're too far in, yeah. Um, or they don't have a suitable enough rock bottom. You know, it can be all sorts of reasons. Um, but for me, it wasn't worth the cost you know when when alcohol starts to cost you more than money that's a problem and so for me I was like it's I'm done like I have to be done and I honestly cannot imagine if you'd have asked me 18 months ago if I'd be 18 months sober and fucking meditating in the morning doing a grat list every day willingly calling people on the phone not texting but like willingly calling people on the phone that I've never met in real life just to say I'm struggling or to say how are you um 
I would have laughed in your face and yet you know it's just it's the best thing that I've ever done I'm so happy and pleased for you that you're you know you're going to get your chip today it's so exciting congratulations um what do you one of the other things I really wanted to ask you about was like how you cope when Jimmy is away because he's away a lot as yeah you know he's he tours a lot with some amazing people he was just on tour with George Ezra wasn't he yeah he's going Um, back out in June so when he goes in June how long will he be two months wow how June and July I mean my my husband travels every now and again for work um, he was meant to be in Vancouver this week and quite honestly the whole idea of dealing with the three of them on my own I mean we get into a really good routine don't get me wrong I pick out their clothes the night before I'm not sitting there watching telly with him in the evening so that gives me a whole bunch of extra time to like sort my shit out for the next day like prep for breakfast prep for getting them out the house in fact usually we actually have time for breakfast when he's not here um but it but I mean, like we get into this, we fall into a different routine. Yeah. But now my three-year-old is very aware when he's not there. And my seven-year-old doesn't like it when he goes. Do you find the girls are more accepting because he travels a lot? Or do they also get to that point where they become little shits because he's not there? So they definitely are more emotionally attached to his coming and going than they have. But the older they get, the more that that's a thing for them. Um, You know, they will cry when he leaves, but they're also fine three minutes later. but But it is real for them, but they are used to it to a certain extent. In terms of how I cope, I mean, I think it's all, A, it's always been like this. Ever since I've been with Jimmy, he's been a touring musician. And so before and after kids, he's always been away. I didn't used to cope with it well at all, obviously. And I ended up drinking and doing a lot of drugs. Uh, that doesn't work, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I tried that for you, I took one for the team, doesn't work. Um, but you're right, it's very similar to, to you. You know, the week before he goes is always pretty hellish because everybody's a bit on edge. And then the week after he comes back is also shitty because he's like in this, I've just been on my own doing what I like for two months. And I'm like, and I'm at home going, well, we've got this sorted can you fuck off please um (laughs) but but once he's gone it's actually all right it's definitely exhausting and tiring and the thing that I find slips which is a problem for me is like my exercise it's like my exercise gym or dog walking or those moments I can take that's the thing that has to be sacrificed because yeah everything else still needs to happen and I do get to a point where that takes its toll but actually, you know, I've, it used to be a real PTSD trigger for me because, of course, that first year of Billy's life was so hard and Jimmy was around for the first month and then gone for eight months. And that was like I was in severe postnatal mm-hmm. depression, active addiction, very functioning, but active addiction um, and had no family around me and suicidal ideation. Like it was it, the worst year of my life. And so for a long time, Jimmy leaving would be such a trigger. In fact, even if he was out for the day, I did not want to be on my own in the house with my children. Like, yeah. not because I didn't love them, but because I would literally, it would, I'd have panic attacks. I couldn't bear it. 
So a lot of therapy and obviously not drinking, all of that stuff has made it much more bearable. So it's exhausting and it's tiring, but also it's easier in a lot of ways. You know, it's my my way or the highway. I don't have to yeah. bend or compromise or fit in another adult. When I have to be more organized. So generally I'm more organized and life's easier. Um, and, you know, and, I, and I've got used to asking for help now. You know, I am definitely the mum at the school gates when Jimmy's away that asks people to pick up her kids more often than anybody else. And I could be really worried about that or I could go, well, actually, I don't have a second partner at the moment. And that's just the way it is. Sometimes I just need them to be picked up by somebody else. Um, and the good thing is that's not because I'm in town at a boozy lunch that I've decided I want to extend. That's because I'm working really hard or because yeah. actually, do you know what? I don't have a problem with saying, can you grab the kids from school? I have to get to the gym. Like if I don't get to the gym, I'm going to lose my mind. I rely that's on people. I rely on people to tell me they can't do it and know if they don't want to. And I'm very clear about that. But I also don't feel bad about asking people to help me out so that I can look after myself in a way that I know is necessary. And I think people are really, I think some people find that quite uh, entitled or, uh, or obnoxious. I don't think that at all. But for really? me, it's essential. There's... Uh, something I asked um, Kelly um, Taylor about um, kids in the commute on our last podcast was what the village meant to her and I think like you know the reason I started the podcast was because I wanted mums who felt really alone and isolated to have a place to come to listen to you know advice other people's point of view um you know actually get advice from properly you know trained professionals and not just following some random twerp on the internet who or going down the like you know, google doctor route no you're not yeah, a twerp. No, no, I know. <laughs> um but yeah so you know I just I wanted people to have this safe space where they weren't going to get judged and, and be able to find their village because the village has changed. The village isn't the same. People live further away from family. They have to rely on other people to help. And like I explained, you know, I have this WhatsApp group with some of the mums from school. We're all down on the list to collect each other's kids. There's usually one of us saying, shit, I'm running 10 minutes late. I've been in a meeting. Can you go and um, collect so-and-so and wait in the park for 10 minutes? Yeah. I'll meet you there. Or like on a Wednesday, I collect um, I collect my daughter and two of her friends. I take them both to dance, it, uh, take all three of them to their dance class, which is literally a two minute walk up the green from my house. And then I feed them all before they get collected by one of the other mums who then meet one of the other mums at her house to do another collection and we we all just work in this sort of like tag team and it's brilliant and every now and again we go for breakfast to sort of just decompress and offload and blur at each other and that's how it works for us we've got I, my parents are my mum is half an hour away from me and looks after the kids on a Monday my in-laws are half an hour from me in the other direction and we see them every Saturday but it's but our our tightest network is our friends from school and, and I think what we, we rely on. And I think sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that the village is only there for the kids. Mm. But that it's not. The village is there for you. The kids are fine. This is what I really just want parents, and especially kids of babies, newborns, 
your newborn is fine. Like they are resilient. You You're not. actually <laughs> have to go out of your way to really consciously do them harm if you want to hurt a newborn. You do. Generally, yeah. if you do, if you're doing your best, the kid's fine. New mums are not fine. No. Like they are vulnerable and they and and parents are like, and that exists all the way through, you know, because we always make sure the kids are fine. The kids get used to being fine. The kids live in this like perfect world where things are fine because we make it so. But we do that at the expense of ourselves. And we spend our whole time going, things aren't fine. I'm not fine. And that's what the village is for. The village will pick up the kids. The kids will be fine. Somebody else has picked them up. Yeah. They're fine. You're legally required to make sure that somebody of an as an adult is looking after them. You have done that. That is fine. They do not feel rejected. They do not feel discarded, neglected. If you are doing your best as a parent, that is fine. What is not fine is if you are running yourself ragged mm. and not asking for help because you need it. You know, that's what the village is for. It's not for the kids. The kids don't need help. The kids are fine. The village is for you. And that's something that I you know, I really struggled to ask for help. I really struggled. I, before, you know, I did a lot of therapy and before I worked the steps, I wasn't good at being vulnerable. It wasn't that I thought it was a bad thing. I used to say being vulnerable is really, you know, a strength. I didn't believe it. I didn't need to be vulnerable because there was mm. nothing wrong with me. That's not true. I didn't like asking for help. Uh, I'd grow, been grown up as an, you know, grow up as an only child, went to boarding school from a very early age. I was like, I am on my own. I'm fiercely independent. If I have to sort anything out, I have to do it myself. That was a hundred percent how I lived. And, and, and I used to say, I don't like, you know, I don't like asking for help because actually I just rather do it. I don't play well with others. That is still true to a certain extent, you know, in a business <laughs> sense, I'm not good at playing well with others. I very much need to work on my own, but in a social and community sense, I don't like it. I want people around me. Yeah. And we are social creatures. We are supposed to be in, we're supposed to exist in groups and that can look however you want it to look. You don't have to be with people all the time. That's my worst nightmare, but you do need to have people that you can call and you can call without judgment and without um, explanation actually as well. Oh, Sometimes you can just say, I need you to get the girls and somebody go, okay, no problem. That's fine. You don't need to go, I'm really sorry. I, 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 if I leave for work now, then I could go, but actually, I really, I really want to stay and get this project done because if, you have to say that. If you want to stay late at work and you know down the long run, it's going to do you better stay late at work, get somebody else to pick up the kids so you can finish that project so that tomorrow you can have a better day. You can do that. Yeah. I or think that's the, the best thing about, um, about the, the village that I'm part of is that we don't judge you know, like some sometimes some of us can make it for breakfast and the others can't. Fine. You know, you're having a shitty day. Get get the stuff you need to get done done and we'll see you next time. You know, if you want to talk about it, we're here. Like send a really random voice note at 9 p.m. at night. We'll we'll find time to listen to it and we'll give you the help that you need. You know, it's it, it's just like finding these mums in in the playground was such a godsend for me. Yeah. Um and well, I mean, also I, as well, I remember the the best thing when I first met a girlfriend of mine who's now one of my best friends. Um, we it was like early days of being friends, you know, that, like, <laughs> dating each other. And she met, called me and she said she's a mum as well. And she said, listen, don't worry about calling me back. This is a voice note she left. Don't worry about calling me back. The last thing I want to be is another thing on your to do list. Just whenever I love you, I'll speak to you soon. 
And I was like, that's the friend that I need. Mm. Anybody who is mad at me because I haven't replied to a WhatsApp message, I'm sorry. I just don't have time. Like, I don't have time. I'm not interested. I love you. And I understand that you feel mad about it, but it's not my responsibility to make you feel better. If it's that important, come and talk to me, call me again, send me another message, whatever. If I haven't replied, it's not because I'm being a dick. It's because I've got other shit going on. So just, you know, everybody needs to fucking chill. Um, (laughs) And I think that's important. Like it took me until I was 40 to have the confidence to be like, this is my boundary. And I know I'm a good person because I know that even if I fuck up, I've done everything with good intentions. So I mean, it always works out, but I've always done everything with good intentions. And if people don't want to see that or can't believe it, I appreciate that and respect it. But I am confident in that I know that I have done everything as well as I can. And if I do fuck up, I now know that I can just go, I'm really sorry. Again, no excuses, no buts, no whatever. I'm really sorry I messed up. That must have made you feel like shit. It's my bad. I'll do better. That's it. It's it's such a, it's a hard place to get to. But once you're there, being able to take the responsibility for your actions is so freeing. Oh God, I would have thrown thrown anybody under the bus. When I was still in active addiction before I worked the steps. And this is really a lot of what the 12 steps are about when you, People think it's about not drinking. So you can't even start the steps till you stop drinking. So it's not, it's not about that. Yeah. It's about how and why you drink and how you operate in the world and why that means that you've always needed this crutch or you need something to hide with or whatever. Um, and the central tenet of it is recognizing your part in everything. And that's not, and this is this is a crucial bit. It's not about blame, it's not about guilt, it's not about going, you fucked up there, this is your fault. It's about going. How can I learn and change and do something differently next time? So taking responsibility for your part in it may mean that you might need to apologize, but it also might mean that you just need to think about it yourself and take that on board. Um, you know, and it, I sort of hesitate to whether going to this, but it's like when I was drinking, one of the things you have to do in step four is, is write an inventory of all the things that the terrible things you did or the terrible things that other people have done to you that you've got some sort of resentment with like literally from as early as you can remember and when I was drinking a lot of the time not a lot of the time twice two occasions where I was sexually attacked in various different ways in blackout and of course that is not anything that I ever have to make amends for that I am clear on but in terms of looking at my part in it and this is something that I have to look at this is purely my experience I had to realize that the bad things happened when I was in blackout yeah and as much as I wish the world was a safe enough place for me to lie naked in the street unconscious and not have somebody put their penis inside me, (laughs) it's not. The world is not that safe. And I can either be mad about that or I can accept the world, people placing things the way that they are and recognize that sometimes I have to adjust my behavior. And so now that I'm not drinking, I don't get sexually attacked and raped. That is a sad truth. But it is a truth. And just like I lock my doors at night because I cannot trust people to not break in and steal my shit, I now have to stay sober because I cannot trust other people to not do terrible things to me. And it's a really difficult conversation to have. And I want to be really clear, I'm not victim blaming by any means because what we should be able to do is one thing, but what we are able to do is another. And I'm only talking about this in terms of my own decision-making process and my own experience. But... I can't, I can't waste time getting mad that I can't do that 
I have to go, I can't do that. And so I'm not going to do it. Yeah. That for me is what I need to do to keep myself. That was me recognizing my part in that experience. Doesn't mean I'm to blame. It doesn't mean it's my fault by any means, but it does mean that I have a responsibility to look after myself. And for me, that's staying sober. Amazing. Thank you for giving us that. that. It's always tricky to talk about because I don't want to trigger people. And I know that, and actually I do know that a lot of, there are women obviously who are attacked and they're not drinking. Yeah. They're not drunk and they have absolutely no reason, you know, that is a different conversation to have. That's not what I'm talking about at all. And I don't want anybody who's been attacked in that way to feel like I'm saying you need to take responsibility. You know, that's not the case. But what I am saying is for me, I wasn't sexually attacked or raped when I wasn't drinking. Yeah. And so I had to at some point accept that for me, if I want to keep myself safe, I can't rely on other people to do it. I have to stay sober. And so that that's kind of where I got to. Sentence though, I have to take responsibility for it. Like as in keeping yourself safe. You can't rely on anyone. Yeah. That's a sad truth, whether you're sober or not. And 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 that's that's the scary that's the scary thing from the other side is you know you might be a a single female walking home on your own completely sober and and that in some cases is not a possibility in some areas as we've seen a lot recently and that that can be a sobering truth but you know if if you're sober again you have you know more it's of about what you can you, control you? it's mm. about what you can control I can't control if I'm sober and I have to walk home late at night there's only so much I can control with that yeah. I can definitely control whether I'm in blackout or not whether I'm drinking or not I can control that and so I know I have a responsibility to control that yeah and so to myself and so that for me is is has been a really steep learning curve but one that has empowered me in in enormous ways because when you spend a lot of time being angry and mad and energy trying to control things that you can't control it's not a happy place to be but when you start to operate within the things that you can control it's a serenity prayer at the end of the fucking every AA meeting god serenity prayer so at the end of every AA meeting we say the serenity prayer just like there is just like um in the movies yes and uh it's it really is beautiful god grant me serenity to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference and that's that's what it is and i think so many of us spend so much time being mad that other people won't change and Mm. other people aren't changing or that other people are saying something that they don't like and it's like just focus on the things that you can change you know what should be is great but completely arbitrary you can't do anything about it so you know put your energy where you can and I think we start we think we start to work on things on on a scale that's too big you know sometimes I think we start to look at why we need to get onto Instagram to tell everybody they need to feel a certain way when actually do you know what you might do more good if you just talk to the people that you know and love about that and then they might talk to the people that they know and love about that and and that's probably more effective you know we're not all change makers we're not all people that can inspire and uh convince and all the rest of it you know sometimes we just forget the power of our own community right around us and 
that's our responsibility to curate curate a community and a life around us that we love and feel safe in yeah no definitely you've got to you've got to be able to you know identify the people that are around you for certain reasons and unfortunately you know in some some respects you might have to cull some people that aren't yeah. doing you good and that's just setting a boundary that's just making sure that you're in a healthy space and place and if that person isn't contributing to that then again it's your responsibility you to don't have to be a dick curator yeah you don't have to like put an announcement in the paper saying I am no longer friends with this person no you, know, you just just do it you just make different choices and you know the right people end up around you but it is that having that confidence to know that you don't need everybody to be your friend you don't need everybody to like you you certainly don't need everybody to think the way that you think um and it's okay for other people to offend you it's okay for other people to have different views um it's up to you what you do with that and when people offend me on social media I just or when they're rude or horrible and this has taken practice, but it's, I just have learned that that's okay. Yeah. It's okay that they're not nice people. It's okay that they have horrible things to say. It's not about me. I don't need to make, I don't need to change their mind. It's not my responsibility. I'm glad they got it off their chest. (laughs) And now let's move on. You know, it's people who think that it's their responsibility to make other people think a certain way. I get it it's but it's but it's only going to burn you out you know it's it's about uh promotion no it's about I don't know what it's about it's about doing it rather than promoting it right just live act model it yeah and then people are attraction not promotion that's what it is I really like that something else I wanted to talk to you about was confidence in general you come across as a very confident quite self-assured person but do you find mate now that now that you're 18 months into sobriety that your confidence you're actually more confident that that something's changed 100% I um really I always thought I was super confident I always thought I was really confident and you know I'd go out and have a really good time and I'd get on with people and I suppose I was confident but I was confident when I was drinking Mm. when I first became sober going out socially was really difficult was really really hard and I had I just couldn't do it and I suppose three to six months about six months I was like okay I get it and I had to keep forcing myself to do it because otherwise I would have just not bothered and now I love it now I love going out without drinking um but in terms of overall I mean I think age essentially is really what it's all about you know you get to a certain point I don't think anybody who hasn't gone through a certain amount of things in their life can be that confident you know and I think that we can try and we can have belief in ourselves but I think real confidence has to come from experience and I'm not saying I mean I'm 41 you know I'm hardly but I think there was a moment when I hit 40 where I just thought okay now actually I'm like I've got some shit that I know now. Like I'm busier than I've ever been. I don't have the time to worry about whether so-and-so likes me or whatever. All I can do is wake up and just be as fun and as kind and as nice as I, as I can be every day. And 
trust that something, some sort of something is on my side. And I think that's the other thing. It's like, you know, it wasn't just about me. I had to sort of put my ego down and go, and that really helped with your confidence. Cause I was like, well, it's not just about me. Like actually nobody's really looking, nobody really cares. It is what it is. Just get on and do your best. And I think leaning into that and realizing that the universe in some ways pays you back for that just keeps you on that confidence track. You're like, okay, well, I can't be doing, I can't be doing, I've got to be doing something right, you know? Um, but I think it's age and I think it's, you know, being able to, and I think success to a certain extent as well, you know, and I don't mean that in a like, I'm super successful way, but I mean that in a, I struggled for a really long time to find my place. Yeah. You know, I was always a creative, but that wasn't really given any space for me as a kid. You know, if you'd have asked me what I wanted to do, I always wanted to write. I was a writer all my life, but it was never, it never occurred to me that that would be something I could legitimately work towards as a job and so I did all sorts of things I mean I did everything I'm ADHD so I did like fashion buyer uh ski instructor uh teacher English teacher high school tour manager uh, <laughs> charity manager uh, event you know I did everything and I just never really found my niche and that really affected my confidence for the longest yeah. time and I think we're all great at looking confident but now I would say I truly am confident because I'm comfortable with where I am and what I'm doing and that for me came with age just lots of other much smarter people who figure it out earlier I'm not one of those people it took me until I was like 38 39 to figure it out but you know I think it's it's that it's feeling comfortable and learning to get to a point where you're you are genuinely happy and I do a gratitude list every day to remind me that even when it's shit there are things that I am genuinely grateful for and I need to realize that not only do I have lots of great things going on but I actually made a lot of that happen a lot of that's yeah. not me but I made a lot of that happen and that's really cool and it's not cool to say I'm proud of myself it's not cool to say I fucking nailed that but I am proud of myself and I have nailed some stuff and, you know, and I fucked up lots of things too, but knowing that you can put things right, knowing that I'm comfortable admitting that I've made, there's no ultimate failure, you know, there's no, apart from maybe death, but <laughs> aside from that, nothing's unfixable as long as you're thing prepared to make the changes. As long as you're learning from your mistakes when you yeah. make them they all go towards your experience and to to becoming the person you're going to be and number of failures I've had at work have been immense but I've learned from them and my experience has taught me that I won't make that mistake again you know we can uh, it you just you just continue with it but I think one area where I got a bit more confidence was after I had my first it was such the whole birth experience was so humbling anyway like literally you're half naked on a table everyone's literally looking up your bum hole it's oh, yeah. ridiculous we I even at one point they even asked if a male paramedic could come and watch the delivery so that he could learn what to do if he needed to deliver oh. a baby at the roadside and I was like I just went come on then bring the world and his wife in and so literally everyone was down there looking at what was going on and after that I just went do you know what fuck it I really want pink hair 
I've wanted yeah. pink hair forever. I'm going to dye my hair pink. I don't give a toss what anyone thinks anymore. I want it. I'm doing it. And you know what? I uh, work in a corporate environment. Yes, I work from home, but I I still work for a, you know for a, a corporate company, and no one has ever said anything about my hair other than the fact that they like it. It's it's not put me in any position where I've been stopped or barred or told I can't do my job because I, I, I look different. And no one has ever said anything about my tattoos. No one has ever told me that, uh, you know, I, I obviously I try and dress as professionally as I can for the camera. I'm not the type of person to turn up in a hoodie and a T-shirt to a meeting with the CEO um but he regularly does so I mean I am that person no but I mean I it's just that's fine I have to I I'm going as as you know I'm going through the process of 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 working out whether I've got ADHD as well I've done everything I've worked for myself I've run a business I did bridal distribution for a while I've I've always ended up coming back to marketing I like my generalist role because it gives me variance I do loads of different things I write blog posts I'm a content creator I do um I manage and edit the podcast for work as well as this one I uh, do all of the design work as well so I you know use photoshop and indesign and canva and everything and um but my my marketing job isn't just you know um one thing and and that gives me the the joy and the variance i need to carry on doing what i'm doing but it, it was when i had my daughter i just suddenly went do you know what i'm going to do what i want <laughs> i think as well we don't realize how much we operate under fear and i think i've in terms of putting alcohol down and things like that that's really helped me realize that i made a lot of decisions and i acted a lot of ways because I was scared of something or mm. I was fearful that some, whether it was what people would think or where it would take me or whether it was the right decision or whether I looked fat or young or old or wrong or right or, you know, and it's like, acknowledge it, recognizing that fear and recognizing it as the driving force of so many of my decisions. I was like, this is not, I don't want to make any decisions yeah. based on fear. Like I'd rather do what I want and if it messes up go on oh, learn from that or oh, sorry about that but there was a lot of fear and I've and I've really just gone oh, it's just not that much to be afraid of yeah like if people don't like me that's fine if people don't like what I'm wearing also fine if people don't like what I say fine as long as I'm not like being outwardly offensive or rude or obnoxious you know I can have an opinion that people don't like and that's fine I mean, at um, the end of the day, you've got over 200,000 followers on your Instagram. You're bound to face some negativity and criticism every now and again. And actually, How do you deal that with much. that? I don't get that much. I mean, thank God for websites like Tattle because they all just live on there and it's fine. Like it keeps <laughs> them off the streets, honestly. You know, it, before Tattle and before those kind of forums, um, they'd always be in your DMs or your comments. And mm. it's like, now they're not. They're they're over there wherever it's fine and so occasionally I get trolled but it's very rarely honestly these days and you know I've been in the game for long enough you do just get you do just get not used to it but you get to a point where you realize it's not really about you because you can say one thing one day and you upset somebody you say the opposite thing the next day and you upset somebody else that's fine I mean I don't know when we all decided that we had to agree yeah like I just don't understand when that I missed that memo and I think 
we make the mistake of thinking that because people don't agree with us, then they're wrong. And that's not the case. Opinions aren't empirically, they're not empirical facts. They're not right or wrong. You might not like them, but it doesn't mean that you can't say it's right or wrong. Yeah. Um, you can question it. You can pick it apart. You can do all sorts of things, but it, it, you can't say somebody's wrong. It's their opinion. Even if it's offensive, it's their opinion. They might, you might not want to hear it and it might all that. And that's fine. And I get that but people are allowed to say what they think. And this is, I think, you know, I think it, it, it becomes a real problem. And and in fact, if, if anybody's listening, Africa Brook on Instagram is absolutely brilliant at be at making this space for people to feel confident in expressing their views. I mean, I listen, there are times I don't have a political platform. I don't have, my platform is there to talk about being an adult, trying to get through the day and making people laugh. Like that's really it. My job is not to talk about political issues. It's just not. And it took me a while to realize that. I will talk about it with my friends and family. If somebody asks me outright, I'll have, I'll say, but it's not my job to use my platform to talk about political issues. Um, and so it, you know, I just don't react. And I hope when people react to me, I just let them get on with it these days, mostly. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, it's 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 such a it's such a weird thing to get your head around, like even just like facing criticism from work. And even if it's constructive, sometimes I find that really difficult. Like I definitely have some sort of RSD rejection sensitivity um that comes with it and so sometimes you know when when I'm even facing like can you just change the the font on the title of this thing for me sometimes I'm like oh my god I I did it wrong oh my god I'm such an idiot what the hell have I done but you I have to sit there and be like it's not personal they just really don't like the font on that title and the brand guidelines dictate that you've got three fonts to choose from it's fine and by the way you wrote the fucking brand guidelines in the first place yeah. <laughs> so get over it like you know it's 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 one of those things it's just making sure you take that step back you take that deep breath and you realize that it's nothing to do with you it's you know in in my case it might be that it it's just how they want the business represented in your case it's you know that person has an issue <laughs> that is nothing to do with you they're just trying to they're just trying to release some angst and get it yeah off their I chest. mean I think there's definitely something in the fact that I chose to work in the way that I work I'm not great with with that kind of it's not criticism but feedback like I'm like you yeah. I will go oh my god everything's shit and so I think I, in some way I've taken myself out of that I don't have a boss yeah and so now I'm like I put myself out to people that I think will like me whatever you know I have a bit more control over that people don't like it I know I can go somewhere else like if somebody doesn't like my book I can be like fine I get somewhere else you know and, <laughs> uh, and and so I think that there's definitely part of me that has willingly stepped out of that because it's not something that I'm good at and that's there are lots of things I'm not good at I'm not good at working with people in a business capacity I have to run my own business yeah I'm way too controlling on that and and that's that's something I'm I can get very defensive I really try not to but I can get very defensive it's Um, really hard to check myself on that as well yeah and my instinct is to lie like I can be when I was in addiction I would lie and little lies not big lies but I would be like oh I'm really sorry I'm late there was traffic it wasn't traffic I just left late 
oh yeah my my therapist yeah, took that into perspective for me she said she said um she one thing she said to me was um your ADHD it's your ADHD that makes you a liar and I was like what do you mean and she was like you you, you know you might lose track of you might be in hyper focus and lose track of time and then you're running out the door like you've got your makeup bag in one hand your keys in the other you're running out the door you haven't even done your face yet no and no you're no saying, oh no the I've got stuck in your ADHD doesn't make you a liar your ADHD makes you late you <laughs> I'm the liar <laughs> makes you like and that's the thing it's like I I was like I'm not lying really honest but actually I was a liar like I'd say yeah. I was running late because of this or you know can you step in for me because I, I've got this to, I'm not feeling well now I'm like I'm really sorry I'm not coming because I just it's not great for me I need to stay home you know I don't make excuses and those little lies are really really important and I have to keep myself in check with that oh yeah my issue. I will throw anybody else into the bus I'll manipulate my way out of a sticky situation and I have to really stop and go no take responsibility say sorry own it and move the fuck on oh yeah and the the other thing that I, I was watching um a reel the other day and it was um oh my god what who was it, it was Elizabeth Olsen and she was talking about something her sisters used to say when they were when she was growing up and that was that no is a full sentence Mm -hmm. and you don't have to justify yourself you can just say no you don't have to make excuses you don't have to lie and I think that was such a big turning point for me was actually just being able to say no I I don't want to do that or no I can't do that you know just leave it just no and it was it was it was actually quite freeing for me not fe- having to feel the burden of having to come up with the excuse and just going no <laughs> yeah no <laughs> no <laughs> I do with my kids as well when they're like can we do this and like no and that and you people are like because I said so you shouldn't say that but yeah. actually no I don't always have to explain myself yeah even to my kids can I do this no no end of We've covered so much, Kat. Thank you so, so much. much. I'm exhausted. For... I feel like I've had a therapy session. <laughs> well, I really honestly hope that the podcast helps um, some people today, especially our discussions around like, mental load and, and and sobriety as well. But thank you so much for joining me. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak to me. Um, and um, yeah, I really look forward to releasing the podcast and and also speaking to you really soon oh thank you thank you so much for having me it's been an absolute pleasure thank you bye bye if you enjoyed this episode of mum's work and chaos please make sure to subscribe on whatever podcasting channel you're listening on at the moment or if you'd like to get involved feel free to email me at mumsworkandchaos at gmail.com or follow us on instagram at mumsworkandchaos See you then.